it's not just looking at what we need to do today to enable business. It's what do we need to put in, in place for the future acceleration of that business. And that, that's really proving a, a huge draw, right? I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey everyone, my guest today, Sam Dolka, who is the Associate Vice President of Global Business Marketing at Dubai Economy and Tourism. So we've had a lot of marketers and entrepreneurs on from product businesses, services businesses, but how about a city and a region? So Sam uh, worked for a long time on the consumer side of the marketing uh, organization for Dubai, and now he shifted to the business side. And it's really interesting to hear and think about how he and the team market Dubai and the brand of Dubai, and also how they think about it like a product. He relates it to Apple in a way, where there's different kind of products underneath the brand and different features within those products. So I think that's a really interesting perspective shift um, for a lot of us. And I really loved how he talked about finding meaningful influence within the audience you're trying to reach. What are the things they care about? What's the culture around them? How can you tap into that to create meaningful dialogue that people are actually gonna care about? And then lastly, um, the big takeaway for me is there's so much change happening all the time. We as marketers and for the brands that we work for, we really need to make sure that we, our teams, our businesses, our brands are adaptable to change both of the product and within the world around it. So I will leave it at that. And I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Sam Dolka. Well, listen, it's good to see you. I really appreciate you making the time to come on the show. I think it's really interesting, like we were talking about a couple days ago when we did the first take or before we actually did the first take, I think it's really interesting having you on to talk about what you're seeing in the market, your perspective as a marketer, but also just, you know, when we think of challenger brands, we think of products and services, but Dubai as a brand, as a challenger brand is probably one of the most successful examples out there with what's happened, particularly over the last 10, 15 years. And a lot of that has come from the work that you and the team have done within Dubai tourism. And I know your role now is a little bit more focused on kind of the business side of it, which we're going to get into, but I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. And I'm sure people listening are too. Yeah, it seems to be a brand that sort of catches people's imaginations. I think certainly, certainly I'd say more in the last two years than, than ever before. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I think it's definitely gone through challenger status and hopefully now it's a little bit more um, you know, solidified in people's psyche as yeah. to, to, you know, it being a global hub. Yeah. And in many ways it's the incumbent you can argue. And that's kind of how we think about things. Of course we call them rival brands, successful challengers, but you know, it's a little bit to our own benefit. We're trying to create a term around that. But if you think about it, the term challenger brand is actually a statement of intent, not accomplishment. And when challengers succeed in their intent of disrupting a market, they kind of become not, uh, they become a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more accepted. Maybe you don't hear them kind of as much, at least not in the kind of like stunty challenger disruptive type way. And I think that Dubai probably you could argue now is more of a rival brand than a challenger brand, but being challenged or attempts at challenging it in the region from Abu Dhabi right next door from everything that's going on in Saudi. So I think it's really interesting, not just that you've been able to do that, but also how quickly it's kind of gone from challenger to rival. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's like, it's like your 15 year overnight success, right? It's, it's with that kind of mentality that, yeah. that it's been there. It's bubbling. It's, it's just a case of how is the psyche of the public, you know, uh, increased, right. And, and, and found it more, more palatable. And I think, you know, a lot of stuff uh, has happened and, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we always look at, but it's, it's one of those touch and feel type brands, right. That, that, you know, you have a perception of Dubai of whatever it may be, but those that have been here, those have experienced it, those have engaged with the city as a whole, you know, leave with a much different perspective and uh, generally a much deeper and, and more uh, positive perspective. And I think a lot more people have got into that uh, uh, motion of being here, coming back, learning more, making friends, setting roots, et cetera. You know, and I think that's sort of got to a critical mass where that's now sort of starting to amplify out further and further and further and build momentum as well. Amazing. Well, looking forward to digging into that further, but let's start with kind of the intro warm-up question. So first of all, can you tell us about a brand that you are very interested in or obsessed with right now? Yeah, there's, there's actually a couple, um, uh, and, and for different reasons. I mean, for me right now, I'm totally obsessed with channels of influence. And what I mean by that is where is people actually making meaningful impact and, and connection with, with their audiences or their, their customers, right? So it, it's going beyond the sort of superficial and it's really like, it, it's, it's real deep connections. And that tends to be in, in, in more unique spaces, right? And, that, and I think a couple of really interesting brands that I've seen do that. Um, recently, and I'll give you some more local um, uh, examples, I think, because you guys obviously have a lot more international chat, um, you know, in, in the US and Europe. There's a, uh, Adidas here particularly um, has done something really interesting recently, and they've been looking at doing a lot of different collabs, uh, and they've done one with Gucci, et cetera, et cetera. But the one that's really, um, you know, really got people talking was um, they did a collab with uh, a Pakistani street food restaurant called Ravi's which is, I mean, like $2, $3 food dishes, you know, hasn't changed the way it's done anything in the last 30, 40 years. Um, you know, it, it is exactly what it says it does on the box, but it's always had a special place within society for those who know, know, right? And, and, and it's, it, it's certainly got a, it's got a, a, a cult following without having ever actually done anything, right? Um, so, so, you know, they collab together. I think it was a long time in the making, you know, and, you know, out of the back of that, you know, did a lot of things, but, but in essence, you know, created a shoe line that sold out within minutes, you know, in, in some of the biggest malls in the world. Um, you know, and what was really interesting about that was, is, you know, this is a restaurant, a, a street food restaurant that has no social media presence, that has no marketing, that has nothing. It doesn't do anything. It just does what it does. And, and the collab together, I would say, has, has elevated Adidas's brand more right in the public psyche than it has the little street food restaurant, right? You know, street food restaurants cool and stuff, but I think people have, have grown more attached to Adidas as a brand for this collaboration. So they've taken, in essence, a, a complete unknown with no presence online or anything, and, and that has actually elevated the Adidas brand higher than it has the little street food restaurant, right? So I think that, that's a really interesting example for me. Um, a couple of other ones, just as we're on it, just to touch on it. I think one that's, that I've been really interested in is brands that are focusing in, in what they call modest fashion. Uh, there was a brand that was around a couple of years ago called The Modus. Um, and then, you know, it disappeared through a little bit through COVID is coming back again, which focuses purely on mo what they call modest fashion. And that's, that's fashion that's targeted towards, you know, um, uh, Muslim women, conservative women, 
but but is is high end fashion and, and really started to get pick up with global fashion brands around the world. It's a huge multi billion dollar market, um, and how they're engaging with a community that felt underserviced and undervalued, again is a massive um, insight into you know how how a model that might work in in the Western markets is completely ignored in markets where it's really needed, and and you know there's a huge growth opportunity for something like that. The last one I would say that's really interesting to me at the moment is, is what's going on with the game Fortnite. And if I'm going back to communities and building that kind of level of engagement, deep, meaningful connection, you know, just what I've seen them do, you know, across everything that they've been doing collabs and, and where they build their infrastructure and the spin out content that comes out of this and the fan base and everything else, I think it's a really good example of two things. One is how do you build a totally engaged community that, that is passionate about the, the brand or the, the product? Uh, and two, is probably a good insight into potentially what the metaverse could look like for the next generation of people coming up, right? And, and that's, you know, where kids are spending a lot more of their time. It's where people feel that they can be a lot more free, you know, in the way they look and how they engage with people. So again, that's something that's been really interesting to me and seeing how can we take stuff like that and build that level of engagement for, for ourselves, right? fascinated by the esports world and the gaming world in general because i think a lot of people if you're in it you know how big it is and how intense it is and how involved and invested the people are that are in that world but if you're not you don't realize it and i think it's always interesting particularly talking to more traditional marketers looking at esports as an area to build brand or deliver marketing results there's kind of this disconnect where it's different from how they would think about other sports and it's the same at the end of the day you know, whether or not people choose to watch someone else playing a game, which a lot of people think is silly, or watching grown men and women kick a ball around a grass field, like it's just as silly, but it happens to entertain and unite people and build community and all and all those things. And there's a lot of attention there right now. It was actually, you know, we're recording this July 14th. I almost went down to, um, I think it was Dusseldorf, it might have been Cologne, tomorrow for the Intel Extreme Masters tournament that's put on by ESL we've been talking to for a while. And I was interested in going just for the sheer experience of it, because I think people don't realize how big it is. And then just picking up on a couple of things that you said and where my mind went, I think the modest fashion trend is interesting because I think a lot of challenger brands are really good at understanding where there's an underserved niche within a market. And some of them kind of like happen onto it uh, just organically, like that's where they started because it was the problem that the founder had and then they built a business around it. But I think it's a really interesting and helpful exercise to go through for marketers listening of like, you know, you know your audience, you know the market you're trying to serve, but where are they underserved and how can you potentially go into that? And then the Adidas one is interesting because we spend so much time as marketers thinking about our product or our service and the audience, but actually there's another layer within that, which is the culture through which the customer experiences your product, service, and brand. And so again, I think always thinking about and being aware of what is the culture around your audience that's relevant to you and how is it shifting? Where is it maybe underpriced or people don't know about this cool street food restaurant and how can you do something with that? So especially lifestyle brands and fashion brands that's so much of how they build their credibility and their equity is not just delivering a product, but so much of those are just built on brand. And so they have to come to life in cool and interesting ways by understanding the trends of culture around their audience. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's this, this, I mean, there's quite a few examples and I think it's just, it's just really 
like relevant to the audience that's sitting there is because you know this this part of the world can be hugely um different from from place to place right and i think you know one brand doesn't fit one size right and, and, and that's just not a concept that's here and you see the most successful brands do that you know um i give you another example kareem which is the ride hailing app that, that uber bought out for for over three billion right it's one of the first unicorns to come out of this region it it was successful where its competitors wasn't because it adapted its product hugely to each of the markets it went into you know particularly let's take saudi at the time um you know they, they were able to offer driving and freedom to people who couldn't who couldn't do it on their own right um so i think that's really interesting I also think the adaptability of culture is an interesting one as well, because I, I'm not sure if you know, but Huda Beauty, right, which is one of the biggest beauty brands in the world now, um, she, she's based here, right, in Dubai, and that's where she grew her business. And at the same time, you've got a brand like that, that that's just going through the roof. And then on the opposite side, you've got like a Revlon, you know, that's just defiling for bankruptcy because it chose not to use influence as part of its strategy, right? So, so again, there's, there's all these hugely changing dynamics and, and you're seeing these rise and falls of brands and they can be anywhere in the world, right? So it's not, they have to be in the US or they have to be here. And then the brands coming from all over the place that are, are making big challenger statements because they're finding a niche, right? Or a loophole that's not being serviced. Um, and the world that we live in is fully digitized, right? And you can you can almost do that from anywhere and, and start a business and go global. Yeah, and that adaptability, that ability externally, which comes from an ability internally to be dynamic, to change what the world around you is so important for challenger brands. A lot of what we see in the research and the work that we do now with challengers is, it's even why, you know, when we do brand development work, it's not a brand book. It's not a brand guideline. We call it a brand operating system in part to make the point that much like an operating system, of course, there are going to be core components of it that don't change, but it should update and upgrade with the world around it because that's where the opportunity is. And that's, you know, sitting where we sit in the industry, it's so fascinating being seeing the contrast between challengers and incumbents. And of course, it's overgeneralizing. And sometimes the biggest incumbents can be the best challengers. Amazon's always a great example of that, constantly trying to put themselves out of business before somebody else does. But that ability to adapt to the world around it as it changes or as you go into different areas is so key to building a successful challenger brand. Yeah, I totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about what you're curious about right now. So what's your perspective on interesting trends? What are you thinking about um, these days? I, I sort of alluded to it at the beginning of the call. And, and I think, you know, the big thing that's, that's keeping us at night is, is where are we able to have the most meaningful, impactful dialogue and engagement with audiences, right? And, you know, I, you sort of have two hats, right? I'll put two hats on. One is more of a tourism leisure, which is kind of a more of a mass focus, right? And then on the other hand, you've got your... Um, you know, the, the other work that we do, which is much more talking to the global business community, investors, high net worth individuals, you know, unicorn owners, uh, startups, scale-ups, anything in between, right? Talent. What, we, what we've certainly seen is that the, the global content landscape has become just so saturated. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know even more where to turn for uh, incredible information, but equally, you know, information or content that, that is, you know, really tailored towards them that they know is, is, is in essence, you know, trustworthy and ones that they want to get behind and believe it. Right. So a lot of what we've been looking at is what I call channels of influence, right. Is, is 
where are all these very, very specific channels of audience based on very, very specific audiences. So, you know, it's not mass for me. I I can't see the social media spaces and things like that really delivering the impact that I want to get, right, at a level of maturity now that I think that we've got to in our marketing and communications. You know, we're having to look at more one-to-one and one-to-few platforms or or, or, um, online, offline, whatever it might be where we can start to actually have meaningful, deeper conversations with people that are coming to the table, receptive and want to hear more, right? So for me, it's about finding all of those channels. And, and it's a huge exercise and it's a constantly changing, shifting landscape, you know, as to what worked yesterday doesn't necessarily going to work tomorrow. But what I've certainly seen is that when you put like-minded people who are receptive to a dialogue within a, a much more um, uh, enclosed uh, space, you know, in essence, whatever that may be, then, then, you know, the impact out of that seems to be far, far greater, right. Than, 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 you know, me saying I've got 11 million views on a YouTube video, right. So that therefore means 11 million people love my video, but, but does it cause an action or a reaction? Yeah. And I think that's the big thing, particularly with everything that's going on with data and anything else that's going around it, you know, am I actually being meaningful to my clients or my, uh, my, my, um, uh, audiences or customers. And I think that's the big thing that that's certainly my focus um, going forward. So how are you actually going about that? If we take that one level deeper to the extent that you can share within Dubai economy and tourism and your team, because I think a lot of marketers, well, every marketer is probably challenged with the same thing increasingly nowadays with the shifts that we've had in the technology and the media landscape around us. How do you attract people's attention? How do you get them engaged? Um, how do you find, you know, post iOS 14 for a lot of businesses that were spending a lot of money on digital performance and that was working very well? How do you find the new channels to invest that's going to deliver that type of return? So I think you touched on it a bit at a high level, but I'd love to hear the next level down of like, how do, how do you work with your teams to actually try to uncover those opportunities and measure them? I mean, I think there's two, again, two schools of thought, right? If you're looking at uh, more of a, a a conversion component, right? So I'd say that's more your tourism side. Um, you know, you have to build very effective funnels. And then those funnels need to have that conversion component built into them that can then feed back into the cycle, right? So, so you need to be able to, to track something from end to end, right? If we talk a little bit more around, um, you know, when you're talking to business people who tend to make, you know, much longer time decisions, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that that becomes much more trickier and and they're not going to be in a lot of the places that you would traditionally assume as a marketeer so in essence a lot of these are sometimes going back into a bit more of an old school sense of space where it's it's events it's networking platforms it's um you know word of mouth right you know some of the 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 older marketing tactics right are, are actually proving to be much more effective because they're coming from a place of trust and, and when I say trust is I'm at an event because I choose to be here or I'm listening to this person because this person has trust with me. Therefore, I listen to you. Right. So so what what I've certainly seen is, you know, the bigger the decision. Right. Or, or, or the more senior the decision maker. Right. The, the level of the circle of trust. Right. Is, is, is much, much more smaller. So therefore, you need to find different ways to look at it. So you know, we're constantly looking at different juggling of, you know, are we trying to go mass, but how do we track mass and is it the right people, but, but we can build conversion on the end bottom of those and, and at least stress test, you know, those results. 
versus, you know, this is something that is, is a slightly new world, you know, and we need to talk to different people in different places and things have massively changed over the last few years on, on the level of trust that they have in a lot of traditional place or a traditional marketing places, right? So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about your role now. So as Associate Vice President at Global Business Marketing for Dubai Economy and Tourism, what does a day in the life look like right now? Let's start there. Um, it, it never looks the same, right? I think that's the, that's the critical part. I mean, it's, it's, it's very fluid, very dynamic, right? And I think that, that you know, being in one of the most um, uh, cosmopolitan cities in the world, um, but also being one of the most traveled through cities in the world, right? means that, that, that setting a lot of people are coming through. So, so meetings form a huge component of what, what a day might look like, right? But it's, it's never super structured, right? You, you know, there's, there's so much happening at such speed, right? It's, it's, it's never mornings will be meetings and afternoons will be work, but, but there's a huge amount of people coming through. I also think that the meeting culture is, is still very ingrained, you know, within the psyche of, of um, Dubai, the UAE, the region. You know, it comes back to the Majlis, you know, where everyone used to come around and solve a problem in a meeting space, right? So I think face-to-face -face meetings and, and those types of things still form a huge component of, of doing business here and, and being successful in business here. So I think that's a, a, that's a huge component that, that, we're, that we continue to see. And obviously COVID put a little bit of a stop to that, but, but you know, we, were, we, were, we, we opened very, very quick, um, you know, and allowed that face-to-face interaction to happen again, you know, um, you know, much sooner than other places. So I'm really glad that we were able to get that. So what does an average day look like? I mean, it can be anything, right? I mean, day starts the same, you know, exercise forms a huge component of the day. So it's got to happen somewhere. Um, you know, a lot of the day is split between meetings and, and really where is that moment for deep work, right? Where can we do that deep work? So, so it's splitting the sort of time between the two. Um, but you know, it's, it, we're hugely glo global, right? So we'll be doing calls with with the east in the morning and meetings with the east in the morning if, if they're not here and then obviously the us and and that in the evening times right but we can span both of them so from eight to eight we can talk to the world so i know that you're now more focused on the business side so how do you get more businesses to do more business in dubai um but i think this question still stands and also knowing that you worked on the consumer side for so long on the tourism side for so long be interesting to get your perspective from both the b2c and the b2b how do you market a city? You know, like so much of marketing is about product and a service. And I guess, you know, is it that you just think of the city as a product and there's different offerings within that and reasons to buy? Or is it something different when it comes to marketing a city versus marketing a product or service? I, I, I think we take a lot of inspiration from, from marketing a product. Right. And, and, you know, certainly the way that, that, that Dubai runs the city, it's very much run almost as a, as, a, as, a, as a corporation, as a business, you know, um, across the board, you know, and I think, you know, we, we would look at it in a similar way uh, as an Apple would, right? And that we have products, we have a consumer base, we have an invested group, we want to talk to them, we want to get our different product offerings out to them, you know, and we can look at it as business versus leisure versus iPhone versus Mac, right? I mean, it's the same thing. You're trying to talk to a different, a group that's shared interest, but, but have, um, you know, different, different wants and needs from, from, from what they want to take out of the city. Right. Um, so I think, you know, our, our approach is very similar. Um, but at the same time, you know, how we communicate is, is, is 
where the big challenge or the, the opportunity comes, right? So we understand that you know, we're, we're a global city, and I say that, and you know, there's 200 nationalities or more that live in, in, in Dubai. But, but if you look at where all the audiences are coming from around the world, you know, they're coming from you know, almost as many countries, right? So when we look at our marketing, we can't do marketing on a um, only global scale or a one size fits all scale. You know, it's very, very specific, localized and, and you know, finding the right approaches for the right audiences and sub audiences at different times of the year, et cetera, you know, to really sort of time in with the, the behaviors and the, the, the wants and the needs of, of the individual markets, right? And I think that's, that's one of the big hallmarks of how we certainly market ourselves globally, but it's done at a very localized level, you know, and you've got to find the balance between making that feasible and impactful. So I want to ask you, and this definitely is not to put you on the spot, and I, but I do think there's something that people can learn from this. So there's obviously so many amazing things happening in Dubai. There's also the other side of it when it comes to kind of human rights and gay rights and freedom of speech. So it's not necessarily about that. Like that's not what this conversation is. But I guess what I wanted to bring up is how do you deal with a product that has some negative perception in certain parts of the world? How does that fit into how you think about it? Look, I think the philosophy is also, you know, twofold, right? One is, we, we always invite people to to experience it and see for themselves, right? And, and not just take what they've read or seen, right? Because I can tell you, hands down, the majority of people that I've ever met over the many courses of my years from all walks of life and, and income brackets and, and geographies have had a hugely different and positive change in perception when coming, right? I think that's, that's important. Yeah. I think that comes back a little bit to channels of trust that we talked about earlier. Secondly, I think is someone once told me the Star Wars uh, marketing model, right? And it was, you know, you, you have at the top, you have diehard fans. That they're going to be engaged with the product and go and see your movies no matter what happens, right? At the bottom, you're going to always have detractors, but they're never going to change their mind on it no matter what you do, right? And then in the middle, you have this, this, this huge group that are, I'm interested, I want to know more, you know, convince me, right? And I think the big focus for us really just is really how do we change those people and get those people to come, you know, build them into advocates for the, for the city and help them sell further, right? Once they, they've had a positive experience. So for us, it's really, you know, putting the effort into to where it should be focused. And so how is it going on the business side now? I mean, for, you know, just personally, I don't, I don't know, maybe I am your target market. I was just thinking, you know, because obviously we're very early with Rival, but we just hired somebody in the Middle East. We're hoping to do more and expand down there. And Dubai, to me, is kind of the default of where we might eventually want to set up in the region. And as I understand it, you know, we met when I was at Vayner and we were looking at potentially expanding down there. So it's been a little while, but I think that Dubai has kind of uh, made, it was, it was relatively easy before, but I think they've increasingly made it easier and more appealing for international businesses to set up. So I'd imagine that's part of what you're doing. But overall, how is it going when it comes to the product of Dubai for businesses yeah i mean it, it's been it's been phenomenal actually in particular over the last two years you know um even during covid obviously dubai was one of the first cities to shut but it was also one of the first to open 
you know, and, and a lot of people came here during that period. Uh, you know, people that, that you know, from, 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 from very strong backgrounds, from companies, from, from private individuals, whoever they may be, you know, realized that, that this was a city that they could potentially stay in. And then it was a case of business and, you know, this is where I could set up. And then, you know, this is where I could live full time. Right. And we've seen a lot of that transition happen. I think the other component is, is obviously Dubai, like you said, is very, is very um, proactive, right, in, in looking at what needs to be done next, you know, to stay ahead of the curve, right? As you would in any, as you said, you know, you try and put ourselves out of business before somebody else does, right? So it comes to constantly changing. So, so yes, you're looking at ease of business, you know, um, uh, how, can we, how can we enable business even further? Um, but it's really looking at not what's good, what needs to be done today. It's very much, I know what we want to do in five years, we want to do in 10 years, we want to do in 20 years. It's very, very clear, right? Um, so that, that gives a lot of stability, right? But it also gives a lot of foresight into where everybody wants to go. I mean, just this year alone, you know, um, Dubai was one of the first globally to, to uh, announce an independent regulatory body for the virtual assets industry, right, as a whole, right? Completely independent, looking at it, we need to solve this problem, right? Um, you know, so that's that's one thing. Uh, they have their, we've set out full citywide metaverse strategy, right, which is already fully committed and, you know, they're going to start building out an entire metaverse strategy and they want it to be 1% of the economy, right, in the next, in the next few years. So, it's not just looking at what we need to do today to enable business. It's what do we need to put in, in place for the future acceleration of that business? And that, that's really proving a, a huge draw, right? The other big component I would say is talent, right? You need talent to, to do your business, right? And talent is, is, is a big buzzword for everybody around the world, right? And, you know, Dubai is lucky enough to have, you know, a, a, it's, it's a great place for businesses to thrive, but equally it's a, it's a really good place for people to live. Right. And I think you're seeing a lot of people choosing that lifestyle as a place where they want to go. And therefore talents coming here, the, the barriers to entry are, are, are less, you know, where others are putting it up. Um, so I think, you know, that, that, that's a huge component because you need the talent to drive the engine of, of business. Right. And I think that's a, that's a huge credible play for us. Is there a campaign that you've run recently that you're particularly proud of? Or I, I think it'd just be a kind of it, it makes a lot of sense to me in terms of the strategy, if you will, and what we've been talking about. But when you get into the tactics, I'd be curious to hear, like, what does it look like when you launch a marketing campaign for Dubai to businesses? Um, so again, I think, you know, we, we've done a lot on the business space. And, and as I said, I think a lot of where we've moved into is much more bespoke, right? And it's more looking at how do I engage through multiple different one-to-one or one-to-few avenues, right? So we've done a lot of marketing, we've done a lot of above the line, we've done a lot of, you know, working with the global media partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. But what we started to realize, that's great for when you needed to build a brand and get a conversation going. But now at a next level of maturity, you know, is it as effective as it, as it was? And, uh, and I'm saying now what we're seeing is that the dialogue, you know, on a more intimate basis is, is a much more effective route to go. So I say that on the business side. So to, to not answer the question is we've changed our entire marketing mix away from traditional marketing, you know, um, that kind of thing into a much more uh, B2B or one-to-one space type approach. On the flip side, um, you know, one of the big things we did as Dubai Tourism was launch the Dubai Presents campaign um, earlier this year, shot with uh, Zac Efron and Jessica Alba which itself is just a phenomenally um, interesting a, a take on a destination marketing campaign, right? And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically 
that it's done in six different film genres and it's designed to look completely like a movie trailer and it's it's spy it's romance it's done you know in the side of wes anderson versus whatever uh, and we rolled that out globally um and that was a really interesting one because the amount of effort that went into looking at the complete end-to-end you know channel mix distribution assets content you know what we were trying to achieve, the, uh, driving back into conversion, et cetera. You know, so it, it's just not only a great campaign that was really well done, um, but it was one that was, you know, highly successful in achieving meaningful outputs. And I think that, that, that was something that was really cool. And the fact that we were able to do it in COVID was even better. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I'm looking forward to coming down and hopefully being a business that's come in. If, if there's a way that I can attribute us setting up in Dubai to your marketing efforts, just let me know. But um, yeah, I really appreciate the conversation. Before I let you go, two quick questions. So the first is, if you had to kind of take a step back, we've talked about a lot, obviously, you know, we're just skim- skimming the surface of your experience and, and the value that you could add to our audience. But what is one thing that you would recommend people do differently based on this conversation and kind of the perspective that you have to offer? Again, I, I, and I've harped on about it a lot, but I, I think you've really got to understand and know your audience better. I think that that's something that we should all take a step back over the after the last two years, because I'm guaranteeing it's changed. Right? I think it's. I think honestly, people's mentality has changed, their headspace has changed, their wants and needs have changed. You know what they feel passionate about has changed, um, and I think everybody should be reevaluating you know, in, in the truest, purest sense of the form of, of what, where actually is my audience? What do they really, really want from me? And what should I be giving them? And, and it should be really a realistic link to a purpose. And it shouldn't be what I want. It should be what the audience wants. You know, and I think a lot of people have, have, have forgotten that it's not, it's not me making that assumption on their behalf. I think it really should be, yeah. you go out and do your research and you really find out what, what really t- makes these people tick and, and you've got to deliver on that because they can turn you off in a second, right? And that's the world we live in. I totally agree. And I think any successful product, any successful brand, any successful marketing campaign ultimately stems from a deep and differentiated understanding of an audience need and finding a way to solve that. So I love that. And last question, who is someone else that we could have on the show. If there's someone, someone you'd recommend, doesn't have to be someone that you know, but who would you recommend to come on as another guest? Um, I have a friend uh, who runs his own marketing agency here, um, and he's been doing some insane stuff in the AR and VR space, right around marketing and things like mm. that. A guy called uh, Mike Corey. It's a company called We Are Tactical. I know Mike very well. Do you know Mike? Um, <laughs> yeah. I saw I, him when he was in London, uh, when was it, a couple months ago. I, I've, I've always been amazed at not just what those guys are doing, right? And, and they've done a lot of really interesting things, particularly in the world of sport and, and how yeah, they've yeah. really looked at how do you bring social media coverage to sport. Um, but I just, just their, their sort of passion and philosophy on, on a lot of different things, I think, is, is very, very cool. Definitely one you yeah. guys should speak to. It's great. Yeah, I've always been a fan of his. I will have to reach out to him about that. Great suggestion. All right, Sam. Well, <clears throat> I really appreciate you making the time. Looks like our internet held up this time, so that's great. But um, yeah, looking forward to hopefully seeing you when I'm next down in town and just watching everything that you're doing with the Dubai brand. Absolutely. And anyone else wants to get in touch, they can pass through my details. Perfect. we Will do. 
Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a growth consultancy that builds challenger brands, strategies, and capabilities to disrupt categories. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.